Well, good morning and, and welcome to worship. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us, whether you're worshiping with us here at Hope West Des Moines or whether you're worshiping with us at, at Ankeny or at JG or at Waukee or you're worshiping with us online. Uh, we're so glad that you're here and you're here at a day that we're, we're pushing into and we're opening up a question that is really difficult for a lot of us to look into. A couple weeks ago, we, uh, we, we did a, an open Q&A, a question and answer forum where we, we stood up here and we, we allowed people, we allowed you to ask any questions that you had. And so many of the questions uh, that we received were about this exact topic. But the topic that you saw there in that video clip where people were, were responding to the question, does, does God still heal today? We know as we read through the Bible, through scriptures, we know that there are stories of healing. But what about the experiences that we have here and now? Does God just heal or did God just heal in the time that the scriptures were written? Or is that power still available to us here now? And I'm not just talking about physical healings. Because we know that there's a lot of us who aren't just suffering from something physically, but it's also relationally. That there's a relationship that's been broken, a relationship that's been fractured. That you've been praying and praying and praying that God would somehow miraculously heal that relationship. Or I think about the world, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the, the world that we live in and how, how constantly under pressure, especially the young people of our community, how constantly under pressure they are. And the incredible rate of anxiety and depression that that causes in, in kids, but also in adults. That mentally, emotionally, we need to experience some sort of of healing, of, of restoration, that somehow we'd be able to be put back together. And the whole idea of healing, especially when we haven't experienced it ourselves when we've been asking for it, can be one of the biggest roadblocks we experience when it comes to faith. If there is a God, and there is a God who is good, and a God who longs to be in relationship with us, then, then why doesn't he show up? Why doesn't he answer when I call, when we call, when we plead on our behalf or on others' behalf? Where is God in our brokenness? It's a huge question. And it's a question that's very important for us to be able to honestly look at. And it's a question that we find ourselves here as we continue on our summer sermon series called the Summer of Acts that is going to last most of the summer. Where we, we, we get a glimpse and we hear about the, the beginning of the church. The beginning of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels, they are called, which literally means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which demonstrates the love that God has for humanity that he sends his one and only son into the world. It's the story of the Gospel, the good news. And one of the writers of the Gospel is a guy by the name of Luke, who goes on in his account... And he tells the story of what happened from 
the resurrection of Jesus to the beginning of the church. Which is how you and I are here today. We talked about last two weeks ago that Jesus had just appeared 11 times to over 500 different people. After he had been put to death, after he had been raised to life, he appears to over 500 people. And every person that he appears to comes to this new incredible belief that what he promised and what he said actually was happening. It was, it was mind-blowing. And Jesus had, had a call for those people, had a mission for those people, had an invitation that that all who would experience his resurrection would be able to be a part of the movement of God in this world that you and I are a product of today. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're, you're going to be the, the, the vehicles, the vessels that's going to carry this message, not just to Jerusalem, but to Ju Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That through you, no matter how limited you feel that you are, through you, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ will go throughout the world. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it happens. Because if it wasn't the Holy Spirit, if it wasn't an act and if it wasn't a movement of God, there's no way that it would have reached us today. In fact, it's in Acts chapter 5. We're not going to be preaching about this as we go through the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 5, some of the apostles have, have found themselves under arrest for, for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. It was unlawful to do so. And so this high council takes these apostles and they put them on trial. And if they're found guilty, the punishment that they're going to receive is the same punishment that Jesus received. They're going to be put to death for it. But in the middle of that trial, there's one person who stands up and says, hey, we got to pause here for a minute. And the reason we have to pause is because we've seen people who have come around these parts who have claimed to be a Messiah, but they weren't. They were false messiahs. And once the leader was put to death, the movement died out. So this wise man says, if this is of human origin, Jesus has been put to death. This thing doesn't have legs to stand on. But, he says, if this thing's of God, there's nothing that we can do that will ever be able to stop it. Just the power of the Holy Spirit that moves it. Which we talked about last week. The power of the Holy Spirit that, that comes into our lives and allows us to do immeasurably more than we could ever do on our own. That on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples were gathering. Those who had experienced the resurrection of Jesus were gathering. And as they had gathered there, they were waiting for the Spirit to show up, what Jesus had promised. Because he had promised, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will be able to do the same works I have done. And even more. And the Spirit breaks through. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who brings these people to life and gives them gifts and abilities and freedom to live the life that God had created them to live. Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God 
in the present tense. The fullness of God in the fullest sense. Filled with his spirit, some of those apostles start to carry the message out. Not because they have to, but because they can't imagine not doing it. And two of those apostles were guys by the name of Peter and John. And the Bible tells us that, that one day Peter and John are going to the temple at three o'clock to pray. And, and the temple was the, the holiest place on earth for, for the Jewish people. It was the place that housed the, the presence of God. And there were different courts that were a part of the temple. The, the outermost courts was the place that anybody could enter into. It was called the Gentiles court. And that was the place, if you've heard the story in the Gospels where Jesus goes in and he overturns the tables, that's in the Gentile court, where people would sell animals for sacrifice. And each layer that you would go in, as you would go closer and closer to the center of the temple, would have different restrictions on who could enter in. So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray and they get into the Gentile court and they get to this well, this gate that's called the beautiful gate. And there that day, there was a man that had been placed there. He was placed there because, well, physically because he was lame. He was paralyzed. He could not walk. But even more important to note is even if somebody would be able to carry him through that beautiful gate, he was unwelcome. Why? Because at this time, if you had any sort of handicap or disability, you weren't welcome. Which is a really important message and lesson for us to learn. Because sometimes, either we do it to ourselves or unintentionally we do it to other people. That if we learn about or understand something that's going on in somebody's life, intentionally or unintentionally, we basically say, you're not welcome here. Which had literally happened to this man. And so the best that he had to hope for, the greatest gift that he could ever imagine that he could be given is to receive the pity or the charity of those who would enter into the temple. And day after day, time after time, people would pass this man as he would beg for just enough to get him through that day. But when Peter and John pass him, they see somebody who's different. Luke is very precise in his writing. He's very, very conscious about what he says. And he says as Peter and John are entering into the temple that day, they see him. They see who he is, not what others say who he is. They see him as a child of God. Peter and John themselves had, had experienced the, the powerful truth of the transformation of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter and John both knew the, the, the redemptive quality of, of, of who God is. I mean, both Peter and John had, if truth be told, had screwed up in more ways than they'd ever care to admit. And if they were welcome, if, if they 
were able to experience God's love, what would be different with this man? So Peter and John, they walk into the temple and they see the man and they look at him and they say, look at us. I'd have to think that the man wouldn't even dare look at people for maybe the shame he felt over what people's opinions of him would be. Peter and John, they say, look at us because we see you. We see the immeasurable value of who you are. We, we see the way in which God has created you and he's created you perfectly and he's created you good and, and silver and gold, it's not what we have to give to you because what we want to give to you, we want to give to you freely and what we want to give to you is it's not what you want but it's what you need. It's the thing that's going to, to give you life. And then in the name of Jesus, they say, get up and walk. And immediately, the man's healed. And if you heard it in the reading, what's the first thing he does? He goes into the temple because he realizes that he's welcome. That he's within the boundaries of God's love. And never forget that. Never forget that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what have been the events that have surrounded your life recently, God's grace is available and welcome to you because we have a God who heals. It's character. It's the nature of who God is. Not just in the New Testament. If we go all the way back to the beginning, to, to the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 15, this is what, what God says to the Israelites. The Israelites that God has used Moses to bring from slavery and bring them to freedom. And God says, I, for I am the Lord who, who heals you, who gives you life. That God doesn't want to punish and God doesn't want to afflict pain and suffering in our lives. That God is a God who wants to restore us, to renew us, to, to have us experience the completeness and wholeness of what he created us to live. If we look at the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, we, we, we see that healings are all over the place. The reason that God sent Jesus into the world was, was for his death and his resurrection. But 25%, a quarter of the Gospels speak about the miraculous healings that Jesus performed. In Mark's Gospel, the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, Jesus comes onto the scene and he announces that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is going to be the one who's going to, 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 to bring this new reality into the world. That in this kingdom, sickness and sorrow and suffering will be overcome. And two of the very first stories that we encounter in Mark's gospel. One is about a guy who has been paralyzed. And he hears, and his friends hear that Jesus is teaching in the town. And so they put him on a mat, and four men carry this man across town to the home in which Jesus was teaching. But when they get there, they see that the, the crowd has swollen outside of the building. They can't gain entry. Man, I think Mark is telling us something. 
But the men carry the man onto the roof and they tear a hole open. And they lower their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. Which would have been offensive to everybody who was there because he was not welcome. Jesus looks at the man and he says, my child, your sins have been forgiven. You've been made clean. So get up and walk. Just before that, Jesus has an encounter with a man who has leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. It's a skin disease that was highly contagious. It was a skin disease that actually uh, would, would eat away a person's flesh. It, was very, it would make people very unsightly. And one of the most awful things about leprosy was it was thought to be an external sign of an internal problem. Because sin caused suffering. That's why in John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples ask about a man who's been born blind and says, whose sin was it that caused this man to be born blind? There has to be a reason. So people who were lepers were taken away from their families, they were uprooted, they were taken away from their homes, their livelihood, and they were forced to go live on the outskirts, the edges of town in places called leper colonies. And if anybody would dare approach where they were living, they had to call out unclean, unclean as a way to announce how deplorable they were. But this man who has leprosy hears about who Jesus is and about the things that Jesus had done. Miraculous things. Not just the miracles that he's performed, but the compassion that he had. And the man says, Jesus, if you're willing... If you're willing, you can heal me. You, you, you could make me well. Which is an incredibly bold thing to ask for. Jesus doesn't say a thing. He reaches out and he touches the man. Lepers were thought to have been untouchable. To associate with it, to touch them would make you unclean. But Jesus touches the untouchable. He welcomes the unwelcomed. It's the nature and the character of who Jesus is, who God is. So that's great, but, but why doesn't it happen today? It's wonderful that we read about it in the scriptures, but, 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 but what about now? Was that just something that was relegated to the pages in the time of these words? No, God heals all the time. Still today, in the same ways that he healed when Jesus was walking the earth. I think about my own family. I think about uh, when my wife was pregnant with our son, who was our first child. She was seven months pregnant. She went to the doctor. They did an ultrasound, and they said, well... uh, He's right side up, which I thought was good, but then I realized they're supposed to be upside down in there. He was breech. And they tried everything humanly possible to flip that kid. I mean, things where they were doing it, and I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look good. But he wouldn't turn. As a side note, which kind of describes his personality. (laughs) He's been defiant from when he was in the womb. So we say, come on. He's like, well, I've been this way my whole life. No. 
I mean, there was, she tried everything. It was crazy. I mean, literally, it not, not, not figuratively crazy. It, it was crazy the things that she tried. One day I got home from work and I walked into the living room and she had taken an ironing board and put it at an angle and propped it up to, to the couch in our living room. And her feet are sticking up in the air and her head is at the ground. I'm like, what are you doing? She said, well, the doctor told me that if I hung upside down that maybe it would get the, the, the kid to flip. How long have you been sitting like this? That's not natural. Close the shades. I don't want people to know how crazy we are. She would crawl around on her hands and knees and she said, well, they told me if I crawled around, I'm like, stop that. This is nuts. But he wouldn't flip. I think about if that was two generations ago, either my wife or my child and possibly both would have died in her labor. The gifts that God has given people to, to know medicine brings healing in the ways that sometimes we're tempted to dismiss. The fact that I'm alive, this what I have in my hand is it's not a beeper. I'm not stuck in the 90s. <laughs> it's, an, it's an insulin pump. I've been type 1 diabetic for 30 years. And it's amazing to me because if it was 100 years ago, I'd be dead. But God has gifted scientists and researchers and doctors who heal through the work that he's gifted them to do. And sometimes it haunts me because I know that there are people in this world that don't have access to medicine. And something that I don't even think of, people are still dying from. It's not just medicine. It's all mental and physical health providers. We see healing happen all the time. Therapists who come alongside people and, and, and help people walk through the most difficult seasons in their life and they bring them back to health. But to say that God only heals through medicine and counselors and chiropractors and therapists would be to dismiss the power of the way in which God heals miraculously as well. Last year I was in Haiti. People say, you talk about third world countries, Haiti's a fourth world country. And as I would talk to people in the community, they would talk about all of these miraculous, unexplainable healings that happened all the time because they don't have access to medicine. But it's not just in third and fourth world countries, it's right here at Hope as well. You'd think that I'd have to search high and low to, 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 to share a story where somebody was miraculously healed. Now we hear about it all the time. Preaching on this this weekend, there's been a flood of people who have come up and said, can I share my story with you? It's remarkable. 
one of the people who helps with our Alpha course, an incredibly powerful course that God has used here at Hope. Her name is Kristen Orton. And somebody said, do you know Kristen's story? And I'm going to invite Kristen to come forward. So do you know Kristen's story? I had no clue of what had happened in, in her family's life. And so rather than me tell you about Kristen's story, I've invited her to share her family's story. So everybody say, hi, Kristen. <laughs> hi, Hope. <laughs> Kristen, uh, share with us. Uh, what, what's the story? What, how have you guys experienced healing in your life? Yeah. Well, so my husband and I have three kids. Um, they're actually down front this morning. Uh, but up here, so my kids, my oldest is Luke. He's 12 right now. Uh, my daughter, Audrey, is nine. And our youngest daughter, Josie, is six now. And uh, this story was with Josie when she was a whole lot younger. She was probably two or less. And uh, she started, she had ear infections. Um, and the kind of ear infections that would uh, start one round of antibiotics and it would take a second round of antibiotics and then she'd still have fluid in her ears so they would take forever to clear up and eventually we noticed that her speech development wasn't the same as the other kids. And so we eventually got uh, referred to an ear specialist who uh, decided that we needed to put tubes in her ears, which was great. And it helped with the infections, it helped with all sorts of things. Um, but as part of that process, when she was little, they also would test for hearing loss uh, because that can be associated. So for her, they would try to test um, all sorts of behavioral kind of ways. So um, they would ask us questions, they would say, so do you notice things like she talks really loud all the time? And I was like, we have three kids and our house is loud. So of course she, she's always yelling. Uh, so I don't know. And they'd say, well, do you notice if you call her name, like she doesn't answer? And I was like, well, she's two. Of course she doesn't answer me sometimes. I don't know. Uh, so they did a number of different tests with that as well. So they would, uh, one of the things they did was in the hearing booth. Uh, so this is her when she was a lot older, but they would do this when she was really little, when she was two. And uh, the sound booth, they would put uh, earphones in her ears, and then they would be able to do different beeps, uh, like at different pitches and um, different, you know, higher or lower, and then they would track kind of when she would respond. So they would give her like a little cup of bears, and they'd say, when you hear the beep, you know, put the, put the bear in the cup. And when she was really little, uh, they couldn't get great data on her because she would lose her attention span halfway through. So they would get some of it and then not always. And so um, at one point, even during her surgeries, they decided, uh, they said, well, we can do another kind of test that will be um, like when she's asleep, somehow we can test whether her brain's <clears throat> responding to different pitches. And so they got some really good data off of that one. And then eventually her data from the hearing booth as she got a little bit older um, also matched it as well. So I am a certifiable data geek. So I would keep copies every time we would went because I thought, I found it fascinating what they were able to do. Um, so this is her, um, her audiogram. There's two lines for both of her ears, for her hearing in both of them. Um, the left side of the graph is the low pitches, and then over further to the right are the higher pitches. And then the vertical axis tells you how loud it was before she would respond or before she would be able to hear it. And so uh, with softer at the top and louder at the bottom. And they told us that normal hearing should be within the 0 to 20 range. So it should all be, all of her dots should be up at the top. And so for her, she had hearing, uh, mild to moderate hearing loss in both ears, because um, you can see they were down in the 40s to 50s, both at the low and then at the high ones as well. And so when that happened, they told us that um, hearing loss is permanent. There wasn't anything they could do about it to fix it, so she would have to wear hearing aids. One of the things that. that's fascinating is if you look at the date when that uh, test was done, <laughs> 
three, three years ago today. Which I is know. Just fascinating. Isn't that crazy? But Kristen, when, <laughs> since I've known, uh, really gotten to know you and your family mm -hmm. and, and Josie, I've never seen her with hearing aids. So yeah. what, what happened? So something changed, obviously. So we were, um, actually things were great. Uh, her hearing was great. She would go in every once in a while and they would check and adjust her hearing aids and they were working great. And um, I knew that they were working. So after she got her hearing aids, we had just little incidences where like she was chatting with me if, after she got them. And uh, all of a sudden she would stop and she would say, I hear myself. Like, I hear myself. Do you hear yourself? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can hear myself when I talk. And so she had never heard that before. Or I tucked her in for a nap one of those first days, and uh, I rubbed her back as she was going to sleep, and she kept saying, what's that noise? What's that noise? And, and she's like, is that crickets? I was like, no, that's, that's the sound of my hand rubbing on her shirt. And she had never heard that before. So I knew that they were definitely working. So at some point in about fall of... I think 2015, um, I, as part of the Alpha Ministry, have a number of different friends that had um, prayed for us throughout of all of her surgeries and everything. And uh, I had a prayer partner, or friend of mine that came up and they said, Kristen, I really, um, I've been praying for Josie a lot lately in her hearing. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, thanks, but you know, she's good. So I don't, you know, don't really need to you know, move on to someone else. It's, she's fine now. Uh, and then I had another prayer partner uh, differently who said, Kristen, we were praying for your, or I was praying for your family, and I, I just really feel like we're supposed to pray for Josie's hearing. I really feel strongly we're supposed to do that. And um, part of me at first, I was like, well, I don't know why we need to pray for that. And I was like, guys, I'm on the prayer team too. Like, I've been praying for her. We've been praying for all sorts of things. Like, her surgeries went well. She's had great guidance from the doctors. They got great data. She's got hearing aids. And when I really thought about it, I realized I wasn't sure that I ever really prayed for the for the hearing to just be fixed. You know, I prayed for all sorts of other things around there, but I never really prayed for the big thing, for the really big miracle. So I, um, so my friend and I decided, we're like, well, we don't have anything to lose, so we might as well pray for it. Uh, so we decided our daughters were in dance together, and so we said, I said, well, we're already gonna be together, so let's just, when they're done dancing, we'll just pray for her, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. So it was after dance, we were out by the car, so it was really fast, I mean, we had two five-year-olds who were tired and hungry and just wanted to eat cookies after dance. So uh, we prayed really fast. It was, you know, God healed Josie's ears, put her ears back to um, where you want, how you made them. Uh, really fast and simple. And then a day or two after that, she was going back for another just regular hearing test for her hearing aids. Um, my husband was with her inside the booth while she was responding, and I was watching her data show up again on the computer screen uh, as it came up that day. And this is what it came like that day. Hmm. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So her hearing was perfect, and they've tested it a couple times, so it wasn't a fluke, it showed up like that again. So she doesn't have to wear hearing aids anymore, and uh, there was no medical explanation for why that happened. I think sometimes that's, from what I understand from people, is it's really hard to kind of share those stories. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes uh, you, you wonder, are people going to think you're crazy? Are people going <laughs> to think you're making it up? That's why it's good that you're a data geek. That's right. a good thing. Uh, but also, uh, one thing that you've shared is all the things that you've learned through the process. Yeah. And what, what have you learned? A ton. Um, 
I think first and foremost, it was really an experience that God is so big and God is so good. And I think I realized that there are times that God wants to give me more than I am even willing to ask for. And I think that's not just me, I think that's everyone. Sometimes I realized that I didn't pray for the big stuff. I was content with praying for the little things and I didn't pray as boldly and as big as as uh, as I could have. So I've learned to pray differently and pray right into kind of exactly what I wanted God to do, even when it seemed crazy and it seems impossible. Um, and I think that's really hard to do because the other really big thing I've learned is how powerful it is to have that community of praying people around you and to use the people who are gifted in prayer around this church to help with that. And you feel crazy when you're with someone and you verbalize out loud and you're asking God to do something that everyone else says is impossible. Uh, and so that's a really vulnerable place to be. Uh, but I've realized that there are there's other people who can speak God's truth and God's love and just pray in ways that I couldn't do when I was in the midst of it. And so that was really important. Well, Kristen, thank you <clears throat> so much for sharing. So give God praise for Kristen and <clears throat> for her family. Thank you. And that's wonderful and that's great. And we, we give God praise for that. But here's what I want to talk about now. Because it doesn't always happen that way, does it? For every story that we have like Josie's, we have stories that don't end up the same way. For every miraculous story where somebody who has cancer, all of a sudden they do a PET scan and they can't find tumors anywhere and everyone says, oh my goodness, God just healed and God healed in an extraordinary way and we just can't, we can't explain it. We say, oh, that's wonderful. We, we can explain it because we have a God who heals. But what happens when he doesn't? I think about myself and I think about <clears throat> being a diabetic that I have prayed time and time again. My parents, when I was first diagnosed as a nine-year-old, prayed time and time again that God would not allow me to control my diabetes but would take it away from me. It hasn't happened. It just hasn't. I don't know why. I know even in good control that it's going to shorten my life. And to be honest, I'm not okay with that. I don't believe that that's a good gift. And I believe that we have a God who wants to give good gifts. So I'm going to keep asking. And I'm going to keep ex expecting. There's a fascinating thing about healing that we, we need to turn to when we talk about things like these. One of the words for to heal in, in the Greek, the language of the New Testament, it's this word. It's, the word is sozo. Everybody say, no matter where you're worshiping, everybody say sozo. That word means to heal. You want to know what else it means? It means to save. We have a God who heals, but more importantly, we have a God who saves, who brings the kingdom come. That through the power of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, the, the gates of eternity, the gates of salvation, the gates to God's kingdom have come into our midst, that they're open to us. Two of the most miraculous stories in the New Testament 
Two of the most mind-blowing miracles that Jesus performed. One was to the guy by the name of Lazarus. That Lazarus had gotten sick and he'd actually passed away. And Jesus shows up on the scene after he had been dead for quite some time. But Jesus commands Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus goes from death to life. There's a guy by the name of Jairus, and Jairus has a daughter, and his daughter gets sick, and his daughter passes away, and so he pleads with Jesus, and Jesus comes and, and commands her to rise from the dead, and she raises from the dead. She goes from death to life. But sometimes I think we forget that Lazarus and Jairus' daughter Physically, they're not with us any longer. There is a finite aspect to the world that we're living in right now. Our bodies, our bodies will not last forever. I'm reminded of this as now I don't read things like this. I read things like that. <laughs> our bodies can only go so long. But God doesn't promise just to heal us. He promises... To save us. So at the end of our days, at the end of your day, that's not the end of you. That is your entrance into the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God that huh, you've been created to live. So what do we do? We keep asking. I keep praying all the time, God heal me. Heal me. Take this. In the name of Jesus, take this. We have people in this church that are incredibly gifted. Their gift that has been given to them through the Holy Spirit is the gift of prayer. And I'm going to ask those people to take their places right now. And if you feel called for that right now, please go. We say it at the end of worship every week. And we don't say it as a throwaway statement. We say it because we know that it works. We say, hey, we have prayer people available and if you need or want somebody to pray with you or for you, please take advantage of that. And we don't say it because we have to because that's what you do at the end of a worship service. We do it because we hear people who's had, who've had their lives transformed through the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened. Because anybody, everybody who asks, receives. Everybody who knocks or who, who seeks, finds. And anybody who knocks, the door is open. Jesus says, how many of you parents who have children that you love, how many of you parents, if your child asked you for something, would you replace it with something that would hurt them? Of course you wouldn't do that. You would long to give good gifts to your children who you love. And though you are veiled with humanity, though you are sinful, though you are incomplete, though you can only th see things in part, even though you are human, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven who is perfect give good gifts to those who ask him? God is a God who wants us to experience the wholeness and the fullness of life. So we ask, so we seek, so we knock. 
and boldly, like Kristen said, we boldly ask God to do what everybody else would say would be impossible. Because the promise that God gives us, Revelation chapter 21, is that God's kingdom, he wipes away every tear. There'll be no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more suffering, no more pain. All those old things will be taken and will be removed. Physically, emotionally, relationally. In this world, Jesus says in John 16, we will face troubles of every kind. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world to bring the kingdom into your lives. Ask, seek, knock. We give it all to him.